1: Koshi grew up in Singapore with one driving ambition, to be a success in life and to gain all the money and possessions he could. That led him into the world of drugs and gambling and eventually he became the lord of an international smuggling network. In 1980, he was arrested and placed in a government drug rehabilitation prison in Singapore. He was frustrated beyond endurance. All his goals Purposes, dreams, and ambitions were locked up with him in a tiny cell, and his heart was full of a cold emptiness. Jacob was a smoker, and cigarettes weren't allowed in the center, so he smuggled in tobacco and rolled it in the pages of a Gideon Bible that were available in the prison. One day he fell asleep while smoking. He awoke to find that the cigarette had burned out, and all that remained was a scrap of charred paper. He unrolled it and read what was written from Acts 9, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Jacob asked for another Bible and read the entire story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He suddenly realized that if God could save someone like Saul, God could save him too. And there in his cell, he knelt and prayed and trusted Christ as his personal Savior. And Jacob asked Christ to change him. After this, he began crying and couldn't stop. Recollecting this, he said they were tears of a wasted life. He started sharing his story with the other prisoners, and some of them accepted Christ as their Savior as well. As soon as he was released from prison, Jacob became involved in a Bible church. He met a Christian woman, married, and is now a preacher and a missionary in the Far East where he passionately shares the gospel and his testimony And tells people far and wide, who would have believed that I could find the truth by smoking the word of God? It's amazing how God works. Having those Gideon Bibles in that prison. Convicting Jacob by his word. Using just one verse. Stories of the power of the grace of God to save and transform a life are fascinating to all of us. And we see the same in the life of Paul. Paul's conversion tells us that God is able to save and use anybody. Paul is the pattern for salvation today under the dispensation of grace. Like Paul, any person who is saved today is saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone, all because of the long-suffering, mercy, and love and grace of God. 1 Timothy 1, verses 11 and 12 read, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. The mention of the glorious gospel of the blessed God in verse 11 moves Paul to share his own personal testimony, to give a testimony to that glorious gospel and the saving gospel of the grace of God. Paul's knowledge of God's grace surpassed that of others because he once stood in the greatest need of it. He was uniquely qualified to proclaim the wonders of grace, not because he studied harder or he spoke well and more eloquently, but it's because he had benefited so greatly from it. And as such, Paul was God's perfect spokesman for the grace that God is revealing and offering to all within this dispensation of grace. Paul is thankful, he says in verse 12. He he says he's thankful to Christ Jesus our Lord. He directs his thanks there because Christ Jesus our Lord is the source of grace, the grace that saves us, the grace that enables us to serve and live for Him. The proper response to God's grace is gratitude. And Paul puts this in the sense in the original Greek here that he is continually grateful, constantly thankful to Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was constantly grateful and could never get over the wonder that the Lord not only saved him, but enabled him, counted him faithful, and put him into the ministry. Through God's enablement is how Paul ministered and lived his whole life after he got saved. Paul knew that to serve the Lord, we need this. And throughout his epistles, you see Paul referring to his and the believers in the body of Christ, our need to rely on the Lord and the Holy Spirit such as, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. In Ephesians 3.16, Paul prays for believers to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. After we're saved by grace, God calls us to then live in grace. And it is the grace of God that infuses the strength of God to enable us to live the Christian life, serve the Lord, and be transformed by grace. God's grace goes way beyond just the saving act. In 2 Corinthians twelve nine, Christ told Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. And God's grace is sufficient for everything in the believer's life. An artist once submitted a painting of Niagara Falls to an exhibition but didn't give it a title. So the gallery titled it, More to Follow. Niagara Falls has been spilling over billions of gallons of water per year for thousands of years, and there's always more to follow. And that's a good description for God's grace, too. There is always more to follow. There is always grace to meet our every need and to constantly give us the strength and power and to enable us to live for the Lord and His glory. It comes from the infinite and living God. And thus God's grace is in infinite supply and available always to us. The grace of God amazed Paul in Christ enabling him and that he counted him faithful or trustworthy. In verse 11, Paul had spoken of the gospel that had been committed to his trust. God had appointed Paul to keep a very sacred trust. Paul is thankful that the Lord counted him trustworthy to reveal and to deposit to him that sacred trust of the gospel of the grace of God for today as the apostle of the Gentiles. And God called Paul to safeguard it, make it known, and be faithful to it. And Paul was faithful to it, faithful to it to the end of his life to keep that gospel that had been committed to him. And he was faithful to make it known to others out of a burden for lost souls. And Paul was also thankful that the Lord put him in the ministry. The Lord saved Paul and He put him to work. And that's what God wants to do the same with us, for us to follow Paul's pattern and that also, that after we get saved, to get to work and allow God to use our lives for His glory. Christ gave Paul His ministry. Here, you learn here. In Colossians 1:25 through 25-26, Paul speaks of his ministry to the church, the body of Christ. And he says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Paul was put into the ministry as God's one apostle to the one church for today, the body of Christ, for this dispensation of grace. And Christ revealed to him the revelation of the mystery, the message of grace for today, for him to minister according to, and make known to all. 1 Timothy 1, verses 13-14 to 14 say, Who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. To be enabled, to be entrusted, to be appointed, to minister for Christ as an apostle is one thing, To have that done to someone who used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious is quite something else. This demonstrated the amazing grace of God. Paul here, he doesn't sugarcoat his past. He painted the canvas of his life realistically and truthfully for all to ponder. Paul always saw himself against the background of his Christ-hating, Christian-persecuting past, and he knew it was an undeserved honor. For him to be in the ministry for the Lord. In a small cemetery of a parish churchyard in Olney, England, stands a granite tombstone with this inscription. John Newton, clerk, or pastor, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. The writer of the hymn Amazing Grace never forgot the sinful past he'd been saved from by the grace of God and how he once was an infidel and slave trader and had once tried to destroy the faith other people had in the Lord. John Newton was keenly aware that it was only by God's grace and mercy that he could be saved and used in the ministry and preach the faith. And likewise, Paul never forgot his past either. The grace of God was vivid in his mind because of what he used to be. And what you see here, though, is Paul revealing his incredible lack of qualifications to be called into and used of the Lord in the ministry, and that the only reason he was in the ministry was by God's grace. It reminds us how many use the excuse to not get involved in the Lord's work by saying they're not qualified to be in the ministry. But neither was Paul. The only way any of us are used in the ministry is by the grace of God. Henry Blackaby said, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called for ministry. Paul says he'd been a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. Paul himself had blasphemed and vehemently denied the name of Christ, denied who he was as Messiah and God's Son and rejected his resurrection. That word blasphemer though teaches us something about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's blasphemy was directed against Christ. Blasphemy is something that's done against God. So using that word blasphemer teaches us that blaspheming Christ is blaspheming God. Because Christ is God. Paul was not only a blasphemer himself. He wanted everybody else to blaspheme Christ. In Acts 26.11, Paul says he compelled people to blaspheme he compelled them through torture and beatings to deny that Christ had risen and that He was Israel's Messiah and God's Son.
0: We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to bereanbiblesociety.org. Pastoral Epistles Pastoral Epistles Is a hardcover 300 page commentary written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stamm, founder of the Berean Bible Society. This volume is a verse by verse exposition of Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. It thoroughly examines the Apostles' description of the form and function of the local church, as well as the qualifications that he gives for leadership. The last days of the dispensation of grace are also thoroughly investigated along with the very message of grace that God's ministers are charged to proclaim. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine the Berean Searchlight call 262 262- Two five five forty seven fifty, or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin.
1: Paul had been a persecutor, as he says here, and a brutal one. Uh, it says in the book of Acts how he hailed or he drugged people from their homes and bound men and women and arrested them for their faith in Christ, had them thrown in prison, had them tried, gave his voice or his vote against them. Paul cast the vote that led to people's execution and martyrdom because they refused to deny Christ. Paul's persecution was a relentless, aggressive pursuit to do harm to believers. The word persecutor speaks of putting someone to flight and pursuing. Out of their fear... People scattered, and out of Paul's hatred and madness, Paul pursued them. Paul pursued and persecuted them, even in the strange cities, Acts 26.11 says. In all the places that they ran to, Paul traveled to distant places to find them. And that's why he was on the road to the distant city of Damascus when the Lord appeared to him. And speaking of the attitude that he did it all with, he says he was injurious, it speaks of Paul being a proud, violent, aggressive person whose contempt caused him to mistreat and hurt others simply for the sake of the hurt, with no thought for human kindness. You can see the word injure in the word injurious, and in it. it speaks of one who cruelly injures others and finds pleasure in it. As we ponder Paul's past, it demonstrates the miracle of grace, the power of the cross, that can turn a person around 180 degrees and transform life. For Paul, it was helpful for him to remember the pit from which he had been dug. It helped him keep perspective, maintain humility, and maintain a heart of gratitude as he looked back for the grace of God. A great sinner has to be shown great grace, and Paul knew he had been shown great grace. And Paul says here that he obtained mercy in verse 13 because he did it ignorantly in unbelief. The basic causes of Paul's behavior were ignorance and unbelief. Paul thought he was doing what was right, thought he was doing the will of God. Paul wasn't an apostate who knew exactly what he was doing and willfully did it anyway. Paul was no rejecter of full light. He ignorantly didn't know the truth. He was spiritually blind and ignorant and didn't know what he was doing. He was ignorant, But still guilty. This didn't excuse him in any way from what he did. But Paul's testimony shows the extent to which a person can go. How far down the wrong road a person can go in passionately following their own ignorant wrong thinking in their unbelief. Paul says he obtained mercy from God. And he needed it. If God gave him what he did deserve... He would have wiped them right off the face of the earth and cast them into the lake of fire. It was mercy that Christ even spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Those were words of mercy. And the truth is, we all need God's mercy. And when it comes to mercy, God's mercy is the greatest. God's mercy defines what true mercy really is. And he demonstrated it in the life of Paul. Not only did Paul escape the punishment he deserved by God's mercy, but he also received abundant kindness and the salvation of his soul, which he did not deserve by God's grace. It took exceeding abundant grace to save Paul. And Paul's exceeding abundant sins were washed away by God's exceeding abundant grace. In people's minds, They often think that grace must have limits with God. But God's grace has no limits. It is limitless. It is exceeding. It is abundant. And it is available to all. And God saves each of us by his exceeding abundant grace. And by that grace, we're ready for heaven. And we have eternal life as a gift. The moment we just believe and trust Christ as our personal Savior. The grace that Paul was shown and that saved him, transformed his life. It changes everything. It resulted in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul had once been in unbelief regarding Christ. Now he had faith in Christ Jesus. He once had been driven by hatred and was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. Now he had love in Christ Jesus, as he says here, which... Through that love, he loved his Lord and was driven by selfless and sacrificial care in his ministry and showing Christ's love to others. And that we are to follow Paul's pattern as well in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And as God's grace transformed the life of the Apostle Paul, so too it can change our lives as well as we allow that grace to touch our hearts and we yield our lives to him and for his use. First Timothy one fifteen through sixteen says this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Albeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul says that his statement in verse 15 is a faithful saying, meaning that it is a trustworthy statement, one that can be wholly relied upon as absolute truth. It was a faithful, trustworthy saying because it is the Word of God which is faithful and trustworthy. Paul says this faithful saying is worthy of all acceptance. It is one on which to stake your soul in your eternal destiny. This is a statement of truth which should be believed with implicit trust, fully accepted by all because it applies to all and it tells what God has done for all. And that statement is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Every word is chosen carefully, it's a statement worthy of belief, a statement trustworthy beyond question. Christ Jesus came into the world. It does not say that Christ Jesus came into existence, that he came into being, that he was created. It speaks to his incarnation and taking on flesh as a man and coming to this world. And it speaks of his pre-existence and being eternal God. He came into the world. He was somewhere else and he came into the world. God the Son left heaven's glory and came into this world. The world has to do with our sphere of existence, the earth, but even more than that, it speaks of not just the earth as a geographical entity, but the world of mankind, the world of humanity, the human race, spiritually blind, lost, and condemned people, hostile to God, engulfed in spiritual darkness. In other words, the world of sinners. He came to this world of sinners on a specific errand to deliver, to rescue, to redeem, to save sinners. He came to deliver sinners out of darkness into light, to rescue them from death into life, to save them from hell and give them a home in heaven. Since Christ came into the world to save sinners, we see that the necessary qualification for getting saved by Christ is not to be a good person, is not to clean up our act, but to be a sinner. No problem. We all got that one down. Each of us meets that qualification. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. Saying He came into the world to save sinners tells us He came for everyone, that all might be saved, just by faith in Him. The Gospel tells man that he is a sinner, that we cannot save ourselves, and that we need to be rescued. The gospel tells us that the only way we can get to heaven is by the grace of God through Christ who came to this world to save us by His perfect substitutionary work on the cross for us in our sins. The gospel tells us that man does nothing but the sin and that the Lord Jesus Christ does all the saving. All the glory for our salvation then goes to Christ alone. We just trust what He did for us personally that we're saved, that we're rescued from our sins by the grace of God. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and Paul was the great demonstration of this fact, because he, the chief of sinners, or the ringleader, the one leading the world in rebellion in its enmity against Christ, he was saved from his sins. The Son of God entered the world to save sinners, and Paul was the best example of a sinner needing salvation by grace. Paul was too big of a sinner to ignore Paul says that he obtained mercy in verse 16 for this cause, that in him first Christ might show forth all longsuffering. Paul's salvation was a demonstration, living proof of Christ's longsuffering and the exceeding abundant grace of God. It shows us the power of the grace of God. If the Lord was so patient and showed such long-suffering with a blaspheming, persecuting, Christ-hating, lost sinner, and then by His grace saved the chief of sinners when he just believed, then made that person an apostle and had him write 13 books of His Word, then who can't God save? And who can't God use by His grace? Paul's conversion proves that this is indeed a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ does save sinners because the chief of sinners was saved and he's right now in heaven with Christ. Paul's salvation shows you that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Anyone can be saved. Christ saves anyone who simply believes in him. Many reject the gospel saying, God can't save me, I'm too far gone, I've done too many bad things. And that's not true. It's not possible. If Christ could save Paul, the chief of sinners, then he can save anybody by his grace. Nobody is beyond his grace. Everyone is savable. Paul's conversion was a pattern to them which should hereafter in this dispensation of grace Believe on Christ to life everlasting. The word pattern speaks of a prototype, a model, a pattern you trace, a pattern to recreate something, a design to duplicate. In the printing trade, which I'm more familiar with here at Berean Bible Society, a pattern would speak of a proof. We receive proofs to review before a print job goes to press. That proof signifies and is a sample of what will follow and be produced afterwards. And using the word pattern, Paul isn't referring to the circumstances surrounding his conversion and being saved under the road to Damascus. When we are saved, we don't see a bright light, we don't hit the ground and hear Christ speak to us from heaven when we are saved. Rather, Paul's pattern refers to how each conversion that has followed after His under grace, has also been by Christ's saving sinners, by His exceeding abundant grace. Every person who is saved under grace is saved by God's mercy, and it demonstrates Christ's long-suffering with sinners. And we also, just like Paul, as it says there, believe on Him to life everlasting. And so our salvation, and everyone who is saved in this dispensation of grace, follows the example and pattern of Paul's and demonstrates the same, that though none of us deserve it, yet when we trust Christ alone, out of His exceeding abundant grace, out of His rich mercy and long-suffering, we are saved, and we are heaven-bound. And like Paul also, though, God then wants us, wants to use our lives for Him. When the Lord saves and transforms a life so dramatically by His grace, one can only respond with praise and thanksgiving. And as Paul thinks of God's dealings with him, his response to that grace is to break out in worship, showing that Paul was a blasphemer no more. Now in verse 17, he praised the God who saved him completely by his grace. And he says, now unto the King eternal, immortal invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.
0: Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.boreanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Borean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.